Open your Bibles, please, with me this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. At the beginning of this year, we began a study together, and I want to jump back into it. We've had a few things going on in these last several weeks, um, but I, I feel impressed that we're not yet done talking about the word of the Lord to us, to this church, about our growth, about the time we're in as a family. And we have released faith together, if you were with us all those weeks ago. We, we came into agreement with each other. And uh, knowing from the, from the Lord, it's grow time here at Legacy. And that's why we've been putting our hands on empty chairs and thanking the Lord for sending people to us. And we're not going to let go of that. And I've got great vision in my heart. And I want it to stir in yours as well that the Lord's bringing people to us from every direction. That people are coming in. People who are lost and looking. People who are hurting. He's also bringing us people who are hungry for God, hungry to serve God, and, and want to jump right into this spirit of faith that's alive and well in this place. So just stay hooked with each other on that. We call this sanctuary full and overflowing with the right people that God is adding to us. And we see some of that here in the scriptures from the book of 1 Corinthians. Turn there with me again. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Thank you, Lord. For your word. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, the Spirit of God says through Paul, as the body is one and has how many members? Many members. But all the members of that one body being many are one body. Now listen to this. So also is Christ. That's a big revelation right there, church. He's talking about our natural body, our, our physical human body. And he's saying this body that God has given us is an outward image of the body of Christ. In the same way, this human body is just one body, yet it's made up of many members. The same thing's true about the body of Christ. He said in verse 13, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but how many? Many. many. I want you to notice how many times he says this over and over. One body, many members. Many members, one body. Skip down to verse 18. And he says, Now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. He's still talking about your natural human body. There is a reason your hand is where it is. There is a reason your feet are where they are. There is a reason your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth are located where they are. It is not because of the evolutionary demands placed upon this being that emerged out of the goo and has evolved over time. No, the reason these parts, these members are in the place where they are is for one reason. It pleased God to put them there. He's still talking about your natural, physical human body. There's a reason that your hand is where it is and not somewhere else in the body. It's because it pleased God to put it right there. It pleased God to put it there. Again, verse 18, God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. He said, if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, verse 20, there are, say it with me, many members, yet one body. That's the name of the series that we're in. Many members, one body. And of course, we know he's talking not just about the, the, the physical human body. He's talking about the body of Christ, the global body of Christ that you and I are a part of. But this word applies just as much to this local body. And I believe at the direction of the Lord, it is our word coming into this year and beyond. It's a declaration of faith of who we are. We are many members, one body. And every word of that is important. It would be a great thing, I suppose. Oh, look, if we're many members, well, I mean, what if this room was full and overflowing and we're in two services and three services and we think, oh, isn't that wonderful? Look at all the many members. It's good, but only if the many members are one body. 
It doesn't matter if all we are is a room full of body parts. We could have 5,000, 10,000 people in church, but if all we are is a room full of parts, not operating as one body, we are no good to the kingdom of God and we are no threat to the kingdom of darkness. It's when we become many members acting, thinking, talking, walking like one body, that's when we become useful in the kingdom of God. That's when we become a huge threat to the kingdom of darkness. And you don't have to be 5,000 to scare Satan. You know how many you can be to just absolutely scare Satan, fill him so full of fear? Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name. That's two or three in agreement, acting like one. Many members, one body. Now, these bodies that God has given us, and I'm going to talk again about these, these natural, physical, human bodies. That one that you have that's sitting right there where you are, it's amazing. You should say thank you. Well, I'm not talking specifically just about your, but I mean the human body in general. This, this is an amazing piece of machinery. And I know as time goes by, we sort of develop this love-hate relationship with it. Maybe it doesn't feel like it used to. Maybe it doesn't look the way you want it to look. But forget all that. This thing that you and I walk around in every day of our lives is a gift from God. And it is a marvel. And yes, medical science knows perhaps more about it today than they ever have. And yet there are still things men and women don't understand. There are still things they can't comprehend about this body because it is such, it is such a work of God. The Bible says you were knit together in your mother's womb. The Bible says you and I were fearfully and wonderfully made. This body is an amazing piece of machinery. And I'll tell you this, and you know it to be true, there is nothing like feeling good. Oh, come on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Especially if you've spent two, three days, a week, maybe even longer, and you just hadn't felt good. You felt crummy. Whatever was going around got on you, and you've just been dragging around, and, 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 and you've just been achy and had pains in your body, and it felt like your sinuses were full of cement. And, and when all of that goes away, and you wake up, and you can breathe through like both holes again. I know it's a little thing, but somebody help me out. It feels so good to feel good. Am I telling the truth or what? I've been there, you've been there, every one of us have. This is why so many deals have been struck with God on the bed of sickness. God, take this away from me. If you just take this cold away, I swear I'll never do it again. I swear I'll, 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 I'll go to Africa. I just want to breathe. But people foolishly do that, realizing, hey, healing belongs to you, man. You don't got to strike any other deals with God. God and Jesus have made a deal. It belongs to you. Thank you, Lord. But it doesn't change the fact that it feels so good to feel good. When this body is feeling good and it's, and it's mobile and it's loose, you know what I'm talking about? It's like you, you get up and you walk without pain and you, you can even run a little bit and not regret it for a week on end. And you can, like I said, you can breathe and, and it's good, right? It's a good thing when this body's feeling good. Being mobile is good. You not don't want to be all stiff all the time. You, you want stuff moving around, right? I was thinking about this, though, but if you think about it, the Scripture is using these natural bodies to paint a very clear picture of the body of Christ, which means if there's something going on in this body, it wouldn't be hard to draw a parallel to something that could be going on in the body of Christ. This is what I've been meditating on, honestly, for weeks and weeks, going back to the beginning of this series, and I finally feel like today we're up to a place where we can dig into it a little bit. As good as it is to, to be free, where everything moves freely, you know what I mean, without pain, without stiffness, really, there's only so much freedom you want. 
What do I mean? You, you want the arms and the legs to be able to move, but only so much. Are you with me? You don't want to be out for a jog one day and look down and you're down to one leg. Why? Because this other one's so free. Well, that's not freedom. We want it mobile. We want it able to move, but we still want it in its place. You understand what I'm saying? And there is actually a condition, and I wasn't aware of it till a little later on in life. Have you ever heard this phrase before? Hypermobility? I didn't know a thing in the world about that when I was a kid. All I knew was I could do some stuff with my hands and bones and joints that other kids couldn't do. And for a long time, it was really cool. It was really neat. And the girls were really impressed. Until like junior high, and then it just grossed them out. But I, I remember being a kid, maybe middle elementary, and I started, can you guys zoom in on my hands? I started, get in here tight. Come on. We're going to get real. Is that as tight as you can get? I started figuring out I could do all this stuff with my hands. I, I figured out these things would bend and twist in ways that probably weren't good, but man, it was so cool as a kid. I figured out like all these twisty. And one day I figured out my fingers bend more. Like I could shake somebody's hand with my left hand. Isn't that awesome? One day, I think I was probably eight years old, and I was, just keep it right there, I was standing in the mirror, and I figured out my shoulder blades would stick way out if I just moved my arms in certain ways, which was so cool because I could get down on my hands and knees, and I called it my tiger walk. And I looked like a tiger. See, I'm 43, still doing this stuff. And it wasn't until later on I figured out, you're not supposed to be able to tie your fingers in knots. It's called hypermobility. And after a little bit of study on this, even going through junior high, high school, playing sports and stuff, kids would make fun of me because I was playing soccer, I'd play basketball, and when I would run, my knees would fall in. And people are like, why are your knees do? I look like I was running like this. <laughs> I was like, I don't know, but it hurt, man. I, I ended up, like my senior year, I was in physical therapy, trying to get my knees feeling better. It's like, why do they just fall in? And years later, I figure out it's this hypermobility thing. Whereas most people have, what if, I don't know if it's stronger tendons or muscles or whatever, or they develop more naturally or something, but it's not keeping everything in its right place. And praise God, I never had any big injuries or anything like that. But after looking at it, I learned that this hypermobility, you can actually have like a syndrome, they call it, hypermobility syndrome. And what it results in, it can result in pain. And that's what I was dealing with as a kid. Even now, yesterday I was sitting in my office, I was like, can I still do this stuff? And I started doing it, I was like, oh yeah, I can. And the rest of the day I was like, ah, that hurt. It results in pain. It results in fatigue of the joints and kind of a restlessness. You want to know one of the big things that this hypermobility results in? Dislocation. Dislocation. Why on earth am I talking to you about this? Because these bodies are the natural picture of the body of Christ. And whatever can go on in this body, it can go on in that body. I think the body of Christ has suffered from some hypermobility. Things moving around too easily. Parts being in places they weren't put. And the result of that, and we see this in the body of Christ, and as I've prayed about it, this is just my thought and maybe my opinion. But I think if there's anything the body of Christ at large suffers from is the pain of dislocation. 
the pain of dislocation. The last time we talked about this together, we were talking about divine connections. You remember that? It's been several weeks ago, but divine connections. And like the scripture said, it pleases God to put you in the body, in a particular place. And what Sarah and I have devoted our lives to as the pastors of this church this year and beyond is helping you, doing everything we can to help every member of this family find your place. Find where God is pleased to put you. But one of the things you discover about the human body, about the body of Christ, is it doesn't just please God to put you in a place and have you doing a job there. There's something else about it. If, it, if he put you in a place and he put somebody else in their place and their place is right next to your place, connected by a joint, then evidently what pleases God is not just you and your place and them and theirs, but the connection. He's pleased by these connections when this part is connected to that part. This is what so thrills him. But what is a dislocation? It's when one part is separated from another. It's out of its place. It's dislocated. It's in some other place where it's not supposed to be. And we talked about these divine connections. What are those? Those are the people that God has seen fit to bring into our lives. And he's brought them into our lives with divine purpose. To serve a, a, a purpose and a reason. And it so pleases him when these connections are made. But if you remember several weeks ago where we left off, these divine connections require divine protection. Why? Why is it so important that these connections be protected? Well, what we left off with is when you realize what these divine connections produce, then you begin to understand why our enemy is so determined to get between us and the ones we're connected to, to cause a dislocation. And remember, we looked at this out of the book of 1 Samuel, just after David had slung a stone at Goliath's head and dropped him to the ground and cut his head off, and he came running back to Saul, King Saul, and he's standing there telling, he's standing there telling Saul all about it, and Saul's son Jonathan is there, and the Bible said, when David was done talking, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. That's a divine connection. And if you keep reading about it, as the result of that divine connection, David and Jonathan entered into a covenant of friendship together. It was a covenant of kindness. And not just niceness, but kindness. The kindness, compassion, and mercy of God was between them. This is a divine connection. And what that divine connection did for David, he went from being a shepherd and he got brought into the king's house. And he was made, as a result of that covenant, a son of the king and elevated to a high level, given a place in the kingdom, given a place in the army. And that's what a divine connection will do for you. A divine connection will elevate you. They don't bring you down. These God connections in our lives, how do we know if this relationship I'm in or this person I'm associated with or this church I go to is a divine connection in my life? What's it doing? What's it doing for you? Is it elevating you? Is it lifting you up? Is it bringing you up? If it is, that's a good indicator. This is a divine connection. And guys, there's some people I have had to, not very many, but over the course of years, I realized Certain individuals would call me on the phone and we'd be on the phone for hours. And when we hung up, I felt exhausted. And I didn't even say anything. They just talk and talk and talk and talk and complain and gripe and it's down and it's depressing. And then it's like, well, gotta go. See you later. And I hung up and I'm like, Lord, help me. That was exhausting. I've had to make some decisions not to give my time, which is precious, and my energy, which is limited, to a connection that's not lifting me up. 
Divine connections will lift you up. So why on earth would Satan be so determined to separate you and dislocate you from these divine connections? Because he knows that's what it does for you. He knows that's what it does for you. Let me tell you what else a divine connection will do for you. A divine connection will not only elevate you, but a divine connection will connect you to the head, which is Jesus. You don't have to turn there, but look at this scripture. We'll put it on the screen for you. In in, uh, Colossians chapter 2, the Bible says in verse 18, do we have that? Colossians 2, 18. He said, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, listen to this, and not holding fast to the head, from whom, the, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. He's saying, do not let anybody into your life that will cause you to disconnect from the head. And who's the head? You're not, I'm not. We're parts. There's only one head. Jesus is the head. And a divine connection, a God connection in your life will connect you to the head. And this scripture is a warning saying, do not let anybody cheat you out of your reward. Because what people want to do is get their way, worm their way into your lives. And he said, one of the things they do is they're not holding on to the head. They're not holding on to the head. And then he said, it's from the head that the whole body grows out of these joints and these ligaments that are knit together. A divine connection will keep you connected to the head. Do you remember we talked about this? This is, it kind of paints a weird picture. But the pinky toe on my right foot is connected to my head. And you're looking at my head going, no, it's not. No, it is. As a matter of fact, every part of this physical body is connected to my head. But it's connected through other parts, other bones, other joints, muscles, ligaments. That pinky toe is connected to my head, but it's connected to my head through that joint and that joint's connected to the rest of my foot and that part of my foot's connected to my ankle and that ankle's connected to this part of my leg and that's connected to my knee and that's connected up here all the way to the hip and and then that's connected by my spine up my spine and my shoulders all the way to the head my toe is connected to my head through a bunch of other parts but it's connected all of those parts are those divine connections How do you know if somebody in your life is a God connection, a divine connection? Do they keep you connected to the head? And when you realize this, you start to realize some stuff that people say is just made up. People are always like, well, you know, I'm I'm good with God. It's church I don't like. That's why I, I commune with God out in nature, just me and him. I get close to God that way. I don't, I don't go in for all that traditional religion, organized religion. I, I connect better with God on my own. No, you don't. You don't. That would be like the toe saying, I don't want the connection to the foot. I don't want the connection to the ankle or to the knee or to the hip or to the spine. I want direct access. To the head. So that would be like the toe somehow detaching itself and putting itself right here. Well, why isn't it that way? Doesn't please God. It does not please God to put that part right here. What pleases God is to put that part next to that one, and next to that one, and next to the other one. That's what pleases Him. 
you are not closer to God on your own. Actually, there are whole parts of God you're missing entirely. Because a divine connection will connect you to the head. Now look at this. Look at this out of John 15. Turn there with me. John 15. I want to look at the words of Jesus and what he had to say about this. If these divine connections connect you to the head, it makes perfect sense why your enemy is working overtime to dislocate you. To remove you from that connection. Jesus said in John 15, in verse 1, he said, I'm the true vine, my father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. I want you to listen to how many times in these next few verses, Jesus brings up bearing fruit, bearing fruit, bearing fruit. He says in verse 3, You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you desire. It'll be done for you. By this, my father's glorified that you bear much fruit. So you'll be my disciples. Verse 9, as the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Do you hear Jesus saying a couple of things here over and over and over? He is so emphatic, just in a few verses, about you and me bearing fruit. Now, why would this be such a big deal to him? Why would he take the time to say it over and over and to draw attention to the fact that God is glorified when we bear fruit? He's not just glorified when we bear fruit. He's actually expecting us to bear some fruit. He's actually requiring this of us. Why? I believe it's simple. Fruit is proof. When you walk up to a tree and there are dozens of red ripe apples hanging off every limb of that tree, you don't stand there going, I wonder what kind of tree this is. You don't take... Soil samples, you don't take bark samples, you don't send them to a lab, you don't wait six to eight weeks for results, you don't do any of that stuff. Why? Because there's fruit. And the fruit is proof. That's what fruit is. Fruit is proof, and the fruit hanging off the limbs of that tree is evidence. It's evidence that a seed got sown. It's evidence that that seed took root. It's evidence that that root sprouted up. It's evidence that there was so much life flowing to and through that vine that eventually one day it began to overflow and it produced fruit. And the fruit is the proof. Now, whether you were there to see the seed go in the ground or not, you didn't have to be. Why? Evidence. Why is Jesus saying he wants us bearing fruit? He's saying your life is supposed to be evidence. Do you not realize that the vast majority of this world is holding a clenched fist to the face of God and saying, prove your existence to me? That this world is telling me, you prove to me there's a God and I believe, but until I can see it, I'm not going to believe it. This is why Jesus is saying, hey, you're the proof. You're the evidence. I need you to go out there and be fruit. Be the evidence of the existence of God. Be the evidence that the, that the incorruptible seed of the word of God has been planted in your heart. Let your life be evidence that that seed took root, that it sprang up and now it's producing fruit, love, joy, peace, patience. All of this proves the existence of God. God's not opposed to proving himself. He just doesn't do it the way other people want him to. He's proving himself every day and he's doing it through you. 
you are the evidence there is a God. That's your life. And when somebody says, prove to me there's a God, you should say, you see this smile? You see this joy? You should say, look at me. I'm loving you. That should be evidence. There is a God. Your life is evidence. But do you, did you hear what Jesus said over and over in there? You can't do that on your own. No branch can bear fruit of itself, which is why you've never seen a branch laying out in the middle of the road with a bunch of red ripe apples on it. That branch cannot say to the vine or to the tree, I'm done with you. I'm tired of being on this tree. I'm out of here. And then dislocate, disconnect. The moment there is any space between that branch and that vine, then the life flow has been cut off. And if the life flow is cut off, there can be no fruit. Which is why Jesus said, as much as he said bear fruit, you know what else he said? Abide. Abide. It's not a word we use too much anymore, but if you look it up, it just simply means remain. That's why other translations, he said, stay connected to me. Remain in me. One translation, my favorite one, says it like this. Maintain a living communion with me. Do these God connections, these divine connections, do they require some maintenance? Yeah. Ask anybody who's been married for any length of time at all. Huh? You want that relationship to succeed? What's it going to need? Some maintenance, some regular maintenance. It's like your vehicle. I wonder if anybody here would be honest and raise a hand and say, the check engine light in your car has been on for at least three weeks. Anybody at all? I see if you, thank you for your honesty. I appreciate that. <laughs> now look, it's probably a great car. It, it does what you need it to do, gets you where you need to go. But if you want it to keep doing that, what do you need to do? Some maintenance. These relationships, God connections, they require some maintenance. And so much of what maintenance is, whether it's on a vehicle or a relationship, you ready for this? It's preventative. You are keeping something from breaking down, from falling apart. It's preventative. And Jesus himself said, maintain this connection. Protect it. And did you notice where the responsibility falls? It's with us. Why? Because the vine ain't going anywhere. The trunk of that tree is going to be right there from now on. But you and I are the ones who have to maintain that connection. He's not going anywhere. He's not disconnecting from us. If there's ever any disconnection, it'll be us from him. But he is not disconnecting from us. So now you can see why Satan would be so determined to dislocate. Because he knows the moment he can put even just a little bit of space between you and the vine... He can cut off all that life flow. A divine connection is a flow of life to you. Now, here's what's interesting about this. If you keep reading and you get all the way to chapter 16, chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus explains to us why he said these things the way he did. He said, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to what? What does your translation say? Stumble. stumble. That you should not be made to stumble. Yesterday I was online. I thought, okay, Lord, if these dislocations are as serious as, as we think they are, even in the natural body, what's the, what's the 
connection here to the body of Christ. How do dislocations occur physically so that I know how they occur spiritually? And so I looked it up. The cause of dislocations in the body. We talked about that hypermobility, being in places you were never intended to be. You want to know what is the leading cause of a dislocation, whether a shoulder or something in the knee? or You know what it is? A fall. Somebody falling. And it causes a dislocation. Now, when we think about a fall spiritually, our minds run to sin. We talk about Adam and Eve's sin, the fall of man. And there is some application there. But there's another kind of fall that I would say is causing dislocations in the body of Christ every day. And it's not sin. Man, sin, it, it is a deal. But he's given us his blood. And when we sin, we've got Jesus to run to. And he is our advocate. And when we acknowledge it, he's faithful and just to forgive us of that sin. It's not the deal people have made it out to be. There's victory over it. There's this other kind of fall, though. It's dislocating parts in the body every day. Jesus said, these things I've said to you that you should not be made to stumble. You know what other translations say? That you should not be offended. The word offense is literally translated, and it literally means to stumble and fall. Have you ever heard of two people that were at one time close? You might say divinely connected and something got between them and they had a falling out. That's offense. And those words paint a picture, don't they? Of distance growing between people, of a dislocation. And Jesus said to his disciples, and he's saying it to us over and over, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me, stay in me, stay connected, remain connected, stay, stay, stay. And he gets to chapter 16 and says, there's a reason I'm telling you this, because there's opportunity coming for you to disconnect. There's pressure coming, and it's going to cause you to try to disconnect, abide, abide, abide. How many of you have a dog? Does your dog sit when you tell it to sit? Does your dog stay when you tell it to stay? And you think your dog's a genius because your dog sits when you say sit. Your dog, watch this, stay. Isn't that awesome? Genius. I think sometimes God wishes you and I are about half as smart as some of these dogs he's created that when he puts us in a place and connects us to people and he says sit, stay, Good Christian. Yes, you are. Yes, you is. But have you noticed we've got that itching in our skin that we got to deal with, and it has gotten worse over time, and people in this generation have no time to sit, have no time to stay. Well, I've been here a few months. I wonder what's going on over there. Ooh, I wonder what's happening over there. And they think they did somebody a big favor by coming and sitting for a few days or a few weeks. What happened to that staying power? Huh? What happened to this command to abide? Well, you know, I am abiding in Jesus. <laughs> I'm good with God. It's the people at that church I don't like. See, we've fooled ourselves thinking we're abiding in him while we disconnect from what is of him? That doesn't work. When he puts you in a family, the Bible says, and we looked at it weeks ago, God sets the solitary in a family. In other words, he puts you there, and when he puts you there, he said, sit, stay, and there's a reward for it. But we have that itching in the skin, the flesh to deal with. And we've also got the temptation of our enemy. It's constantly trying to get us 
to, and I'll make up a word here, unabide, dislocate. Can you see that? Jesus said, these things I've said to you, that you be not offended. Don't disconnect. Don't unhook. And it's amazing to me. I, I was thinking back just yesterday about a man I counseled several years ago. He was very upset with his leaders. He'd gone to be a part of the ministry, and they just didn't give him the, the role and the place that he thought he was supposed to have and going to have, and got very upset with them. And he and I were talking about it. I was like, man, I hate to tell you this. I think you're offended. I think this is just garden variety offense. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not offended. I was like, well, let me ask you. Are you still going? No. Are you still a part of what's going on? No. But I'm not offended. And it's amazed me over the years, anytime that I've talked with somebody about these types of things going on in their lives, and I think, and I say, you know, I think there's some offense here. Oh, no, 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 pastor, listen, we're not offended. Are you leaving? Yeah. Are you disconnecting? Uh-huh. They think because maybe there's not a feeling associated with it, or they think maybe, you know, that, that offense looks a certain way, feels a certain way. Here's what offense is. It's a disconnect. That's what it is. And the scripture talks to us so much about it, but if you, based, if you based whether or not people were offended just on conversations you had with them, these would be wasted verses because nobody's offended. Do you follow what I mean here? Any person I've ever talked to about offense, you know what they've said? Oh, I'm not offended. I'm not offended. And you just want to go, no, that's exactly what you are. It's... it's it's definitive offense. That's what it is. Whatever causes you to unhook. The word offense literally means to stop trusting someone you were supposed to trust. And if God has put you in a place and connected you to somebody and brought a divine connection into your life and you unhook from it for any other reason, than the Lord himself speaking directly to you about it. And I realize and I understand he does that, but it's not happening half as much as people say it is. I've been amazed by this. If, if God was actually changing his mind as much as people say he is, I'd be concerned for him, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'd say, God, I love you, but you need to see somebody. This is schizophrenia. He's not changing his mind. There is way more consistency about him than we tell. Whew, okay. I refuse to disconnect from these divine connections. Now give me, let me give you one last thing here. And we'll be done. Go with me, please, to the Old Testament. To the book of 2 Samuel. One of the key indicators in the physical body that you have experienced a dislocation, you know what it is? Pain. Pain. There is a pain that's associated with dislocation. And as I've meditated on this, the Lord has brought this story to my mind several times. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and it's about King David. And it's about a time in his life that I would say is the darkest period of his life. If you begin reading in verse 2, 2 Samuel 11, 2, you, you see what's happening and you see what opened the door to this pain. It says it happened one evening, 2 Samuel eleven two, 2, that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. 
So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah? That should have ended it right there. David sent messengers and took her. She came to him. He lay with her. Goes on to say she went back to her house. And verse 5, the woman conceived. She sent and told David and said, I'm with child. So David devises a plan. He says to Joab, send to me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. Now Uriah was out on the battlefield. And David brought him home from the battle. And this is all part of David's cover-up plan. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Small talk. Knowing what he's just done to this man, he's making small talk. How you doing? So, how's the war going? Hmm, okay. And he says to him, David said to Uriah, verse 8, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and the gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and didn't go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah didn't go to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come home from a journey? Why didn't you go down to your house? See, David's got this plan. He's had an affair. He's gotten this man's wife pregnant. So, you know, we'll just cover it up. I'll have the guy come home. You know, I'll ask him a few things about the battle, send him to his house. He'll be intimate with his wife. Then the baby can be his. Nobody's none the wiser. But Uriah doesn't go with the plan. He doesn't understand all this. He just decides to spend the night on the ground outside the king's house. And David called him in and I'll take time to read the whole thing. But David said, why didn't you, why didn't you go to your house last night? And Uriah said to him, the ark of the Lord and the armies of Israel and Judah are out there fighting. That's where I'm supposed to be. How can I go to my house and, and be with my wife and, and eat this nice meal when that's where I'm supposed to be? So phase one of the cover-up didn't work. And David moves on to the next phase of the plan and he sends word to Joab, the head of the army, and says, I want you to press in, put your eye on the front line, and when you get close to the enemy, everybody pull back except him. And Joab did what the king said. And Uriah died that day. And they sent word back to David. And they said, we lost the battle. And Uriah died. You know what David said? Look at it for yourself. He essentially said, well, you win some, you lose some. That's what he said. He said, well... You know, some fall by the sword and others fall by the sword. He's literally saying, you win some, you lose some. How calloused he must have grown at this time in his life. And we know what happened from there. He took Bathsheba as his wife and she's pregnant with their child. And God called him on it. He spoke in the ear of the prophet. And you said, you go in there and you say some things to David. And the prophet Nathan came in and told David a story about a man who had a lot of sheep. And he was a very wealthy man. And there was another man who was a poor man. And he only had one sheep. And he loved this little lamb with all his heart. And he fed this little lamb out of his own food. And the lamb drank from his own cup. And he loved this lamb so dearly. And it was his only one. But when somebody needed one, the, the rich man wouldn't take from one of his lambs. They took from the man who only had one. And when David heard about this, he got so mad, he got so angry, he throws a fit. And he said, tell me who this man is, and I'm going to make him repay up to fourfold what that rich man stole from him. And the prophet looked at him and said, you are the man. 
And the word of the Lord came to him and said, Did I not take you out of that sheepfold? Did I not elevate you to this place? Did I not make you king? Did I not put you in this palace? Am I not the one that gave you wives? And I would give you more if it wasn't enough. Am I not the one that made you rich? And I'd give you more still if that wasn't enough. But you had to go and take something that wasn't your own. And because of that, because of what you've done in secret, let me tell you what's going to be done to you out in the open under the sun. They're going to take your wives and they're going to steal from you and they're going to sleep with them and all is Israel will know about it. And he said, the sword will not leave your house from this day. That sin opened the door so wide to violence in his home, in his family, in his nation. You read about David's life from there on. Some of the craziest, strangest, most wicked stuff happened in his own house. And David cried out, I've sinned. And the prophet said, and the Lord will take your sin from you. He'll do that. And you won't die because of it. But the sword isn't leaving your house. And man, what a dark time it was. That child she was pregnant with got sick unto death. David grieved. He wouldn't eat. He wouldn't drink. He wouldn't wash his face. He laid out before God crying, saying, please don't, please don't, please don't. And that child died. And it was one thing after another, after another, after another. You think, God, this is horrible. What opened the door to this? You know, people say, well, you know, men are men and they got these needs that are just so hard to deal with and just don't know what to do. And, you know, she's, she's so beautiful. I couldn't help it. I couldn't control it. You want to know one of the big reasons, one of the other big reasons people experience dislocations in the physical body? I learned this yesterday. Sports. I thought, well, Lord, how do I apply that? And as soon as I asked it, he's, you know what I heard in my heart? People are playing games. Playing games. Not being honest. All these things, men are men. She's so beautiful. I couldn't help it. I couldn't control it. You know what that is? Playing games. You think, well, how could this have been avoided? How could this door have not been opened? If, oh, I see. If David had had maybe more self-control, maybe if he had had a, a, a better heart. He's a man after God's own heart. The Bible tells us what opened the door to this. It's in verse 1. Before you ever even get to Bathsheba, 2 Samuel 11, 1 says, It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, the armies of Israel. They destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabah, but David remained in Jerusalem. What opened the door to the darkest time in his life? To pain and heartbreak like he'd never experienced. Oh, it was sin. It was the fault. No, no, no. What opened the door to it? You ready for this? He wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was dislocated. Bible tells us it's a time when you're supposed to be out there. The king is supposed to be at battle with his men, but he remained in Jerusalem. Not in the right location. You want to know what opened the door to the darkest, most painful period in David's life? He was in the wrong place, at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing with the wrong person dislocated and pain like he'd never felt before came as the result of it dislocation can you see why these divine connections and us being in the place where God's called us to be in at the right time doing the right thing with the divine connection with the right people he's trying to save us folks 
He loves us so much and doesn't want any one of us experiencing that kind of pain. He doesn't want you dislocated. He wants you in fellowship and in connection with the place that he's called you, with the people that he's called you. And I'll read this last verse to you. We'll wrap it up. But the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 19, that confidence in an unfaithful man in the time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. A bad tooth and a foot out of joint. What in the world? <laughs> Explain yourself, Bible. <laughs> well, have you ever tried to eat with something going on with one of your teeth? You got a bad tooth, got an infection in it, and you go to chomp down on something that you never thought twice about before? But the moment you try to bite on it with a bad tooth, oh, pain throughout the whole body. What about when you get out of bed in the morning and you go to take that first step and you are depending on that foot and the bones in that foot to be where they were yesterday and the day before that and the day before that, located where God has ple is pleased to put them. But if that foot's out of joint and you go to step on it, you can't depend on it. And he said, confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like trying to walk on a foot out of joint. Isn't that what David was? This is wartime. And when his men, more than any other time, needed to be able to put their confidence in him, there's my king. That's who I'm fighting for standing next to me, shoulder to shoulder, connected to me in this battle. I'll fight for you, king. I'll die for you, king. And where was he? At home with this guy's wife. That's like trying to step on a foot out of joint. You can't depend on it. Church, family, members, I don't know that you know this, but from the perspective of your pastors and your ministers, we come to the place where we begin to depend on you. We depend on your presence here. We depend on the, the supply of faith that you bring. We depend on the, on the praise that comes out of your mouth. It does something to the atmosphere, which is why I'm asking you, don't let the enemy get between us, get between you. The one you're next to, you're not just seated next to them geographically. There's a divine connection there. And if this is your family and the joint <laughs> that God's called you to, don't let anything separate you. Sit. Stay. Good legacy church. Yes, it's a good legacy church. Oh, and we can experience life without pain. Life without heartbreak, heartache. Oh, he's that good to us, church. Come on, can we stand up and worship him together? Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Lift up your hands and thank the Lord. Praise him. We worship you, Lord. Thank you for sparing us the pain of dislocation. Thank you, Lord, for healing any place that's been dislocated, any place, Heavenly Father, where some space has gotten in or we've listened to the enemy's lies about one another. We repent of that, Father, and we refuse to buy into the lie. Thank you, Lord, for putting us in a place, connecting us with people that would elevate us, people that would, that would be a flow of life to us and people that would keep us connected to the head. Oh, glory to God. Lift up your hands and worship the Lord. Lift up your hands and worship the Lord. If you got something, come on. Worship you, Father. We worship you. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, church, I'm, I'm telling you, the enemy does tricks. He, he deceives. One of the things he does is he takes little things and he magnifies them into big things. And people let little things between them. And they think about it and think about it and it gets magnified in their mind to the point where they think it's a big thing. And they think it is a good reason to disconnect. They think it is a good reason to unhook. I'm telling you, be on your guard for that. 
Like Jesus said to Peter, I've prayed for you that the enemy wouldn't be able to sift you, wouldn't be able to disconnect you from your divine connection, that you'd abide, that you'd sit and stay and remain in me. Come on, be on your guard. Pray right now. Pray right now in the Holy Ghost. Pray right now. And one of the things people don't realize is when they disconnect from something, they think they're disconnecting from what it is. What they don't realize is they're disconnecting from all that it ever will be. People come and go from their God connections, their churches, their family, because of something they don't like right now. Yeah, but what about what it will be? What about what a glorious thing it will be? And who else are you unhooking? Huh? What about your children? Are you taking them out of a God connection? Because people don't realize it. They don't see it. Ten years later, there's pain in their family. They're experiencing something in a place they should have never been in. Come on, say it out loud. Lord, open my eyes. Holy Ghost, speak to me. Oh, let it not be so, Lord. Let it not be so. Let it not be so. Let it not be so. I'm staying hooked. I'm staying connected. I'm not going anywhere until I know it's you, Heavenly Father. Oh, and I'm not playing games. I'm not playing games. Say it. I'm not playing games. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we've got victory over this, church. We've got victory over this. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And Jesus gave us the answer. How do you keep from unhooking? How do you keep from getting offended? What did he say? Abide in my love. Abide in my love. Give each other grace. Give each other mercy. Extend favor to one another. Oh, okay, somebody didn't do you right. Somebody didn't do something you thought they should or thought they would. Give them grace. Give them, give them love. Give them mercy. I ain't unhooking from you for that. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just had it come up in my heart while I was sitting there that this is actually a great demonstration of God's love toward us this morning that he would even warn us of things that are coming and that you would remember his words to you this morning. And oftentimes people, they want a big, loud, booming voice to just, just to stop them and to control them and to tell them what to do. And I'm telling you, God's way is that he will speak to you in a still small voice like this in a little warning because he knows what's just around the corner. And he wants to protect you and he wants to take care of you. Oh, he is so good and so loving and so kind. Thank you, Lord. And I just have it in my heart right now that this is a holy a warning. Mm -hmm. And if we would just listen and follow, and when he speaks to us, we would remember his words and we would value his words. And we'd not get too distracted by other things right now. Distracted by other voices, distracted by opportunities, distracted by anything that would disconnect us from being in the place God has told us to be. I know Jeremy has talked about this before, but there's been so many times that I've realized this. You know, God is speaking to you wherever he's called you to be. Even if you're not there, he's still speaking to you in that place. That's, right. That's a powerful thought. That, you know, maybe one day I just want to wake up and think, oh, I'm just too tired. I'm going to not, I'm going to rest. I'm not going to church today. And I miss out on a word, an anointed word from heaven that's going to change my life forever. Or that's going to protect me from making a wrong decision. I'm telling you, it's important that we are in the place that God has called us to be yeah. connected to the ones he has called us to be connected to. And in that place, oh, the blessing of the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, the blessing of the Glory Lord. Glory to God. Oh, thank you, thank you Father, Lord. for your great Praise love. you, Lord. Praise you. Oh, thank Praise you for your warnings. Thank you yes, for your you, goodness. Thank you for helping oh, us. Glory to God. That you know the word that we need to hear. You know exactly what yeah. we need. Every day, every yeah. week, you know exactly. And I'm so thankful. So thankful. 
Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.